0: Here's the word of the Lord to us from Ecclesiastes 12. It might be helpful to keep in mind that there's a lot of figurative language. So try to use your imagination for what the what picture the Holy Spirit is painting here so we can enter into the meaning. Remember also your creator in the days of your youth before. The evil days come and the years draw near of which you will say, I have no pleasure in them before the sun and the light and the moon and the stars are darkened and the clouds return after the rain in the day when the keepers of the house tremble and the strong men are bent and the grinders cease because they are few and those who look through the windows are dimmed and the doors of the street are shut when the sound of the grinding is low and one rises up at the sound of a bird and all the daughters of song are brought low they are also afraid of what is high and terrors in the way the almond tree blossoms the grasshopper drags itself along and desire fails because man is going to his eternal home and the mourners go about the streets before the silver cord is snapped or the golden bowl is broken or the pitcher is shattered that the fountain or the wheel is broken at the cistern and the dust returns to the earth as it was. And the spirit returns to God who gave it vanity, of vanities says the preacher all is vanity besides being wise the preacher also taught the people knowledge weighing and studying and arranging many proverbs with great care the preacher sought to find words of delight and uprightly he wrote words of truth The words of the wise are like goads and like nails firmly fixed are the collected sayings and they are given by one shepherd. My son, beware of anything beyond these of making many books. There is no end and much study is a weariness of the flesh. The end of the matter. All has been heard. Fear God and keep his commandments. For this is the whole duty of man. For God will bring every deed into judgment with every secret thing, whether good or evil.
1: Thanks. Good morning. As many sociologists have pointed out, we live in a youth-oriented culture. Our culture tends to worship youthfulness and, in many ways, despise old age. Many cultures, both now and throughout history, most cultures, have reverenced old age, have reverenced older folks. But we're very poor at dealing with the aging population. And we're not good at facing the ravages of the aging process. In many cultures, most cultures even today, but again, throughout history, people have lived in multi-generational homes where there's great-grandchildren and grandchildren and children and parents, grandparents, all together living in one home, so the youth get the benefit of the interaction and the wisdom of the older generations. But that kind of thing certainly isn't common in our culture, is it? And what tends to happen to the older folks is older folks begin to feel second rate as if they don't matter, as if they don't have any value in life. And I've heard many times from older folks, well, I just need to get out of the way. I just need to not be a burden to my family. It's no wonder there's this growth in euthanasia, assisted suicide, because if you aren't young, you don't have value in our culture. This, by the way, is a relatively new phenomenon, but it's part of the culture in which we live. It's our Western culture. How did this come about? Well, the PhD writer Zoe Wilson says it's really the baby boomers' fault. It's our fault that we're being neglected. See, we grew up in in the 60s and 70s, and the culture of the day, when we were young, we disdained the the man, right? And we were taught to despise authority and to not trust anybody over 30. <laughs> Advertisers began to cater to this attitude. Zoe Wilson writes this, The advertisement industry quickly came to understand that young people made great consumers, much better than their parents, with their life experience and settled identities. Young people have this quest for sex, peer approval, and identity. So young people can be marketed just about anything that promises to make them more popular among their peers. And so buy, they did. So the advertising agencies catered to this attitude that youth is better, and let's sell to them, and let's emphasize that. And this has continued right into the present. She goes on to say, as these people... Inevitably aged, their youth culture has become a problem for them. Advertisers and their own hubris of youth had sold them on the idea that everyone over 30 was a sellout and that older people in general were the problem. Many of them desperately tried to hold on to their youth. These older boomers also made a fantastic market for advertisers who did everything they could to fuel fear and disgust with aging. The anti-aging market boomed. And note this last statement she makes. Boomers are sort of self-hating older people because they grew up steeped in disdain for the older generation. So we just don't want to be a burden. This youth-oriented culture has been damaging for our young people because it causes them to lose perspective and And make them the center of the universe. As it's been well said, millennials have an inflated view of self. They've been given trophies for participation instead of for winning. It's like you're valuable no matter what. There's something good about that, but it's made them more and more self-centered. And because society revolves around their wants, your wants, millennials. There's a lot of you here this morning. This attitude's reinforced by our culture. So... How can we all, but especially you young people here this morning, how can you get a perspective on your life and live in a way that your lives will really count for eternity? Well, Ecclesiastes 12, the end of this book of Ecclesiastes, as we wrap this up, the preacher has a message for youth. He's lived a long life. He's tried it all. He's lived it out. He's lived for pleasure. He's lived for all those things that the world says, hey, if you had this, you'd really have the good life. And now he has a message at the end of the book, especially for youth, as you face your life ahead. But it's actually a message for us all to help all of us learn what it means to live wisely in a world that's confusing and crazy and often feels random. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, for the wisdom of Scripture that is so real. And as we've looked through this book of Ecclesiastes, it's, it's really exposed the futility of trying to live life for this world. As we wrap up this book, may the truths that the preacher is teaching all of us, but especially youth, go deep into our hearts that we might learn to live life well, no matter what stage we are in life. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So the preacher who is either Solomon or someone writing for Solomon gives us five encouragements as he ends his book. First of all, his first encouragement, again, it's primarily aimed at youth. this whole section, but it really has truth for all of us. But his first encouragement is, Remember who made you. Remember who made you. Verse 1, Remember also your Creator in the days of your youth, before the evil days come, and the years draw near, etc. When it says, Remember your Creator... He's really challenging this idea of, hey, you know, I'm just kind of this random whatever. Uh, I've evolved from, from pond scum and I don't really have anybody who created me for a specific purpose. And he, he's saying, no, that is a lie. Remember, your creator. You were created in a specific way for a specific purpose. And when he uses the word remember in the scripture, it isn't just, oh yeah, I remember, yeah, God's up there somewhere. No, it's this idea of uh, that it creates a sense of responsibility towards when you remember. It's the idea of Psalm 137, verse 6, where the author writes, May my tongue cling to the roof of my mouth if I do not remember you, if I do not exalt Jerusalem above my chief joy. Notice what he says there, to remember means... To put first in your heart, to exalt above your chief joy, to remember your creator means, oh yeah, not only did he create me, but I have responsibility to respond to him as creator, to put him first in my life and my desires. I think this is important because it's easy for a young person in particular to want to run their own lives. They're enamored with life around them and their senses and all the wonderful things they're experiencing. And they don't tend to be accountable to anyone. They have this attitude, I can live life to the full now. And later on, I'll think about God and I'll think about that kind of thing, you know, my spiritual life. But for now, I just want to experience the fullness of life. And what he's saying, oh, no, you got to remember your creator when you're young. He's walked through life. He understands to have a life that matters, it's got to be oriented towards the one who made you. And to remember things like Psalm 139, what an incredible passage, and I wish I could read it all, but let me just read a few verses, a reminder of God as our creator. Verse 13 of Psalm 139, For you formed my inward parts. You wove me together in my mother's womb. I will give thanks to you, for I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works, and my soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in secret and skillfully wrought in the depths of the earth. Your eyes have seen my unformed substance, and in your book were all written the days that were ordained for me, when as yet there was not one of them. You see, the psalmist is saying, wow, because God created me, he wove me together together. He not only started me off, but He's involved in every day of my life. In fact, He's laid out every day of my life. It's been ordained for me. He's involved in every little detail. God has planned my days, so I need to remember my Creator every day of my life. Remember the One who made you. Second encouragement of the preacher here towards youth is remember your destiny. Verses 1 through 8. Now, see, again, youth, it's so easy to think I'm immortal, essentially. I mean, yeah, maybe I'll die someday, but I don't have to think about that now. I got a lot of years to live. Death is way off. I don't have to think about that until much later so I can live life to the fullest now. But the preacher says, no, you'll live life much better and you'll have a much better life if you keep in perspective what will happen in the end. If you don't forget what's ahead of you. Many of us do all we can to avoid thinking about the aging process and about death. Many of us avoid funerals. We just don't want to think about it. We try to stave off our own death. David Roper puts it this way. It boggles my mind to think of all the money, time, and energy we spend trying to stave off death. The medical profession the defense budget, the cosmetics industry. But despite all the schemes we devise to stay alive, or at least look alive as long as possible, (laughs) we only delay the inevitable. Ashes to ashes, dust to dust, everybody, no matter how enduring, descends to decay, and there's nothing anyone can do about it. Well, we try to avoid thinking about that, don't we? And, and, and we put our hope in medicine, right? That somehow they're going to come up with a way that we can extend life maybe forever. Our latest hope is stem cell research, that somehow they'll find a way to reverse the aging process and we can live forever. And we put our hope in all these things. But it's futile because God sets the limits of our lives. And he said, I set the limit of man's life. We will all face death. So the preacher goes on in these verses to give an incredible description of getting old. It's maybe the most beautiful passage in all of literature, I would argue for that, about what this aging process is like, in case you haven't watched it happen in your own life (laughs) or in the lives of others around you. And I encourage young people to really listen because I know this seems way far off in your life, But again, the preacher says, if you if you have a picture of this and keep it in mind, you will live a much better and more meaningful life. So what does he say? He begins in verse one where he says, before the evil days come and the years draw near when you will say, I have no delight in them. As we walk through these verses, I I really encourage you to to engage your imagination and think about what he's really saying about this. First, he says that this aging process that results in death is evil. It's bad. It sucks. (laughs) It really does. Growing old is not for sissies, as David Roper likes to say, because it is tough. And it wasn't God's design. He didn't design for us to die. He wanted us to live with him forever, but sin corrupted the world, and so we experience this thing that's evil, that's not God's original design. It's a time when people become consumed with their health and their limitations. It's really hard, isn't it, for older people not to just talk about their health all the time, and their arthritis, and their whatever, because they get consumed with it. That's why it says, when you come to those days when I have, you say, I have no delight, In them. So he says, Remember God in your youth when you're still able to live for God on this earth. He goes on to say in verse 2 Before the sun and the light, the moon and the stars are darkened, and clouds return after the rain. When you're young, you go through difficult times and it's tough, but you know, you always know the sun will come out tomorrow, right? Like Annie says, (laughs) It'll get better. I'll get through this. You know, it'll get better tomorrow. But when you're older, The rain comes, and then the rain maybe stops, but the clouds are still there. It doesn't get better. That's what he's saying here. The the sun doesn't come out again, and there's no rainbow either. (laughs) The commentator Derek Kidner says this about that. There are many lights that are liable then to be withdrawn, besides those of the senses and faculties, as one by one old friends are taken. Familiar customs change. Long-held hopes now have to be abandoned. All this will come at a stage when there is no longer the resilience of youth or the prospect of recovery to offset it. In one's early years and for the greater part of life, troubles and illnesses are chiefly setbacks, not disasters. One expects the sky to clear eventually. It's hard to adjust the closing of that long chapter to know that now, in the final stretch... There will be no improvement. The clouds will always gather again. And time will no longer heal, but will kill. You see, that's the reality of life as we age. So as I continue on this, really feel what it's like to grow old. Verse 3, in the day when the watchmen of the house tremble and mighty men stoop. Many commentators think the, the watchmen, it's referring to your legs, that that Things get more unstable as you get older and you stoop. Your, your back doesn't work right and, and you've got the aches and pains of aging. There's instability. You need a cane or a walker or even a wheelchair just to get around. The end of verse 3, the grinding ones stand idle because they are few. What's it talking about? Teeth. Now, we have a lot of good dental care, so it doesn't happen. Maybe it's frequently in our culture, but certainly in their culture, as you get older and you lose your teeth, all of a sudden, the grinding ones stand idle. You're not able to chew things, so they, because you're, they're few, your, your teeth have fallen out or they don't work right. You don't enjoy food and the tastes that you did when you were younger. The end of verse 3. And those who look through windows grow dim. It's speaking of your eyes, right? That you're like a house and you're trying to peer through the windows. And as you get older, your eyes don't work as well and you need more correction. And then you get cataracts and everything gets blurry and they can do surgeries now. But still, for most of us, it still continues to decline your visual acuity. And it gets more and more difficult to read and to see. Verse 4, your hearing starts to go. Notice verse 4, and the doors on the street are shut as the sound of the grinding mill is low and one will arise at the sound of the bird and all the daughters of song will sing softly. I had to preach a while back and, and I showed up at church and all of a sudden both my ears became totally plugged with wax or something. I could not hear. And it was so strange. It was this feeling like like a door had been shut and I could not hear myself hardly speak. And I certainly couldn't hear other people. It was a strange morning. I don't know how I got through it. But that's really what he's talking about here, where as you get older, your, your ears don't hear as well. And so it's like doors are shut and there's, there's sound out there, but you can't really hear it. And one of the ironic things is he says, and yet you wake at the sound of a bird. What's he saying? When you get older, you can't sleep very well right any little thing wakes you up and then you can't go back to sleep and i've got a number of mature saints in my men's ministry which is awesome i love having those guys there but having a 6 a.m. meeting for them is almost too late <laughs> i mean half those guys show up at 5:30 cuz they've been up anyway you know that's one of the one of the problems one of the th- marks of aging right you can't even enjoy a long night's sleep. And then verse 5, Furthermore, men are afraid of a high place and of terrors on the road. The almond tree blossoms, the grasshopper drags himself along, and the caperberry is ineffective. It describes this, this sense of as you get older, you get more afraid of trying things because you're, you're more unstable, and so you're afraid to, to step out. You're afraid of heights, you're afraid of traveling, you're afraid of going very far because you just aren't sure you can handle it anymore, and life becomes more fearful. The almond tree blossoms. I think it's referring to gray hair. Your hair gets more and more gray. You have physical weakness. And what a description here. The grasshopper drags himself along. Jeannie and I were hiking in the foothills just last week, and, and as we were hiking up there, we just saw hundreds, maybe thousands of grasshoppers. I mean, just, they just happened to be out, and they were hopping all over the place, and they'd fly here and fly there. And, uh, I was thinking about this passage and thinking about a grasshopper who is meant to just be able to jump and experience life dragging himself along. But what a picture of old age, right? Where nothing works quite right, and you're just barely able to function and then the caperberry is ineffective, is my translation. There's lost desire, is some translations. It really is talking about sexual desire. The caperberry was essentially the Viagra of the day. <laughs> and he's saying it doesn't work anymore. This lost sexual desire, nothing pleases anymore. There's no real pleasure in life. Doesn't this sound fun? Oh, <laughs> No, growing old is hard, isn't it? As some have said, the the old joke, you know, there's three marks of the onset of old age. Number one, you lose your memory. And I can't remember the other two. (laughs) (laughs) So he goes on to say in this picture of just everything breaking down, Man goes to his eternal home while mourners go about in the street. Remember him before the silver cord is broken and the golden bowl is crushed. The pitcher by the well is shattered and the wheel of the cistern is crushed. And the dust will return to dust as it was. And the spirit will return to God who gave it. Vanity of vanities, says the preacher. All is vanity. He's saying to youth in particular, don't forget where you're headed. Don't forget your destiny. Don't live life as if nothing matters because it really does. And you do have a destiny, but if you try to find life in this world and try to try to maintain your youthfulness forever, it, it won't work. Your life will decline. And it's a tragedy, I think, that young people aren't around older people that much, so they don't get to really experience what this is like. So they keep in mind that so they can live more for eternity rather than what this life has to offer. So he says, remember your destiny. Remember your creator. He made you, and remember what the end of life is going to consist of so that you'll see, wow, I don't want to live for this life. I want to live for eternity while I'm still strong enough to do it. The third encouragement the author here, preacher, gives is to listen to the wise. To listen to the wise. The youth attitude today tends to be, hey, you know, why listen? And it's been well documented that this is common attitude, right? Why listen to the older generation? We have the Internet. We have instant access to all kinds of information. If I want to know how to do something, I'll just Google it. Why would I go to an older person and listen to them? I've got access to far more knowledge than they ever could. But what they're forgetting is wisdom. See, wisdom is not knowledge. Wisdom is the ability to live life well. To The wisdom, the ability to take knowledge and apply it in a way so that your life is lived well. Well, See, just having access to knowledge. And you young folks need to know this. Just having access to knowledge cannot make you a better person or lead you to the good life. It can't. Look at the world today. I mean, you don't need much evidence of this, right? We have more knowledge right now than any time in history. It's mind-boggling. You you Google almost anything and, and you'll have... Half a million or several million hits. Wow, that's a lot of information. But what's it done for us? We have as much warfare in between nations as any time in history. We have over 65 million displaced people today, over 21 million refugees living in refugee camps completely away from their homes. We have more destruction, more divorce, more broken homes, more psychological dysfunction. More people desperate because they weren't raised in a home where they had a decent mother or father loving them well. We have a bigger mess than we've ever had. But man, we got a lot of knowledge. So the preacher says in verses 9 through 12, Listen to words of wisdom. Don't depend on knowledge. Listen to those who are truly wise. Let me read that again just to remind you. In addition to being a wise man, the preacher also taught the people knowledge and he pondered, searched, and arranged many proverbs. The preacher sought to find delightful words and to write words of truth correctly. The words of wise men are like goads and masters of these collections are like well-driven nails. They're given by one shepherd. I'll stop there. Preacher says, listen to those who are wise, who have learned to take knowledge and live life well, who have learned how to walk with God, who have learned how to love God and how to love others. And for me as a preacher, Rod and I were talking about this is our goal as we As you think about this preacher who gathered knowledge and pondered and searched out and arranged truth to find delightful words to communicate truth, that's the calling of a teacher, right? And I I personally, and Rod as well, thank you as a congregation for setting us apart so we can take time to do that. But the encouragement is find people who spend time studying truth and learning to live wisely and hang around them. I encourage you younger folks, find older people that you admire their walk with God and just hang around them. Find a way to be with them. Learn from those around you because truth that the wise gives you, he said, are like goads. A goad was a a stick with a sharp point that would prod the cattle to get them to be where they needed to be. See, truth should always make you uncomfortable and move you on it. Listen, if you hear a sermon and you're not made uncomfortable, then I haven't done my job. Because truth should goad you to want to be different, to want to be a different person. But truth is also, he says, like well-driven nails hammered into the wall that you can hang your life on. And that's not knowledge from the Internet, brothers and sisters. That's knowledge from the Word and from wise people who have learned it over time. And then he gives us one reminder in verse 12. But beyond this, my son, be warned, the writing of many books is endless and excessive devotion to books is wearying to the body. This is a command from the Lord not to do your studies if you're in college. (laughs) Okay, it's not. (laughs) What it's saying is, don't just seek knowledge for knowledge's sake, but seek wisdom. The wisdom of the scriptures, the wisdom of wise people that will help you live life better. Fourth encouragement that he gives is as he concludes the book, fear God. Verse 13, the conclusion when all has been heard is fear God, fear Him, put Him first in your life. What does it mean to fear God? It doesn't mean to be afraid of Him and cower in fear. It means to reverence Him. When you fear something in a biblical sense, it means you, you reverence, you give weight to Him in your life, you take Him seriously. Ray Steadman gave a little acronym, it's kind of helpful, it may help you, for fear God, F, to live by faith, to really believe that God's active in your life. He is Creator. He is your shepherd. He's involved in your life. E, experience His grace. Come to Him and have a relationship with Him. To fear God means to have faith He's there, but also come and have a relationship with Him. Awe is the A. A for awe. Awe of His majesty. That He is so awesome and amazing. You learn to see Him for who He is and reverence Him for that. And then R. Resolve then to obey to let it change your life. You see, fear involves all those things. It means to reverence Him, see Him for who He is, and then want your life to be changed and resolve to obey as a result. In other words, take God into account in everything you do. Now, none of us grew up with perfect fathers, human fathers. But we do have a perfect heavenly father. And think about a heavenly father who is so strong and yet completely loving, who holds the universe in his hands and yet delights in you. Isn't that someone that you would reverence and respect, but also trust with your life and want to be with and spend time with? That's fearing your heavenly Father. We do have that kind of Father. And then finally, the final encouragement is, he says, fear God and keep his commandments because this applies to every person. Simply obey. Realize you have a Lord who cares about you and is commanding you, cares for you, is involved in your life, and so seek to obey him. Make your life about doing what God says, not to get his favor you see, in Christ, because of the cross, we have his favor. He loves us. We're secure in him. And that's awesome that we have that kind of loving father. But that doesn't mean we, now we go live for ourselves. It means, no, obey him. We, we seek to trust him and live for him and do what he says. And when we fail, we come to him for forgiveness. And we have forgiveness because of the cross. We'll never obey him perfectly, but we strive to follow him to fear God and obey His commandments. You see, young people, but for all of us, what we do matters. It matters into eternity. Every one of us was built by God and for God, and we can only be fulfilled in relationship with Him. And only Him, only in Him do we find the good life. That's the book of Ecclesiastes. It's it's an honest look at life in this world, life under the sun, that if you leave God out, what's the conclusion? Vanity of vanities. There's no real life here. It's pretty meaningless when you leave God out and you realize the end of your life is aging and death. David Roper again writes this. And so it comes to this. There is no earthly satisfaction. Marriage, family, achievement, money, celebrity, enlightenment, travel, collections, artistic creation, flamboyance, excess. Nothing completes our joy. There is always that elusive something more. No lesson is more comprehensively taught in this world, like you two saying, I still haven't found what I'm looking for, and if you try to find it in this life, you won't find it. So the encouragement of the book of Ecclesiastes for all of us, young people, old people, is live for eternity while you still can. And I I really like the picture of God that's in this last chapter. He's described as our creator, the one who made us for a greater purpose. He's described in verse 11 as our shepherd that uses the word he gives to us to change us and encourage our hearts. He's a shepherd involved in every day of our lives. He's the Lord that we are to obey. And in verse 14, he is our judge that we will face someday. And we know in the New Testament, not only all of that, but he is our savior who died for us, who took on our sins and who loves us and wants us to live For him. If you're an older person, I know this is discouraging, right? You think about this, you go, wow, it's a dark picture of aging. But God has a way of using the aging process to limit our lives and to bring us down so we have nothing left to live for but Him. And to realize we still have value in Him. You can still pray. You can still come alongside of young people. You can still draw close to God when everything else is stripped away and you can still put your hope in heaven and realize someday I'll have a new body. You can live for eternity. And if you're a young person, let this be an encouragement to you to not waste your life, but to live for eternity, to realize you have a creator that someday you'll have a judge you'll face. But in the meantime, you have a shepherd and a savior who loves you. So let's learn to walk with him now in the days of your youth. I want to close with passage in second Corinthians chapter four, where Paul describes this aging process. And he says, therefore we do not lose heart, but though our outer man is decaying. Amen. <laughs> Amen. Begins about age 30, by the way, <laughs> and you're kind of decaying from then on Yet, Our inner man is being renewed day by day for momentary light affliction is producing in us an eternal weight of glory far beyond all comparison while we look not at the things which are seen but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporal but the things which are not seen are eternal. It's a great encouragement to remember God's doing a work in you as you learn to walk with Him and see Him and see what's important, and really live for eternity. May we be people, no matter how old we are, that walk with our God, that keep in mind eternity, so that our lives really make a difference for eternity. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, for this book of Ecclesiastes that is so honest and has so clearly laid out how futile this world is. Thank you for the reminder that you made us for eternity, for you. May we be people, whether we're young or old, who pursue relationship with you and live for eternity and not for the things of this world. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.